think of that 5525 BC, and that is that significant pulse in the Arabian Sea on the west coast of India that you see a sudden rise. Listen to this 15 meters, one five, 15 meters, sometime in the middle of the sixth millennium BC, around that 5500 BC, of 15 meters, and it continued for another. Uh, millennium, just like the research shows anyways, based on the empirical data. And when it actually stopped, the water levels had reached so high that they were actually three meters, on an average, three meters higher than what they are today. So Krishna's Dwarka, okay, the creation and also uh, destruction. Now, when you think of Krishna's Dwarka, what comes to mind? Something like this comes to mind. Now, I'm not uh, sure about the source of this painting. I like to think uh, possibly from one of the Hare Krishna paintings, but I could be wrong. But it's a beautiful painting. And it is uh, we, in our times, imagining what Krishna's Dwarka was like based on the limited descriptions we have in our ancient Indian narratives. Now, Krishna describes to Yudhishthir the entire security arrangement of Dwarka in uh, Mahabharata text. And um, I'm not going to read these uh, specific uh, verses. But just to mention the reference that it comes in the Vanaparva of Mahabharat. And uh, Krishna comes to meet uh, Pandavas in the, in the forest. Pandavas are in the Vanvas. They have lost in the game of a Dyuta and now they are in a Vanvas. And uh, Draupadi asks Krishna, like, why you did not intervene? Like, in spite of having a great friend like you, why we had to go through this. And Krishna explains that uh, he was busy fighting with Shalva, who had attacked Dwarka. And therefore, he was not in Dwarka. He was actually fighting with Shalva. And when he came back to Dwarka, then only he came to know of this news of Pandavas losing in the Dyut and now going into the forest. So in that context, Krishna is describing the security arrangement of Dwarka. So for example, I'll just take say last words of each page. So Shastra Drushtena Vidhita, like he's talking about how Dwarka was filled with um, all kinds of weaponries, all kinds of arrangements for its protection. It's very important. Okay, we cannot just assume that you take just the name of God and things happen. Okay, you take the name of God for that excitement, for that uh, Shraddha, but then we have to do the work. Or I'm just going to read a few more. Uh, now, not necessarily the picture always connects with Dwarka. This is from the Vijayanagara. You know, this is where the fighting elephants used to be stationed. This is the Vijayanagara Samrajya. And if you look at, at the bottom verse again, anartascha tatha sarve nata nartaka gayana. You know, so the, the modern equivalent would be the Bollywood. When the wartime came, 
the first action or one of the actions that the administration of Dwarka took is to get rid of all these uh, entertainers, okay, out of Dwarka. Okay, they can work in different directions. You cannot trust <laughs> their abilities in terms of keeping the secrets. So that's what Mahabharata is telling us. Okay, so the Bahir Vivasita survey, they were removed from Dwarka, okay, during this wartime. Um, or if you take uh, the last verse again, the entry was restricted. Okay, Nachamudro Viniriyati, Nachamudra Praveshate, without having your uh, Aadhaar card, you know, some kind of ID card. The person could not enter Dwarka, person could not leave Dwarka. Okay, that's the kind of descriptions we are having. And uh, Krishna describes that it is, uh, it is all in a safe hands, it is well protected and nothing to worry. And of course, Krishna wins this uh, fighting with Shalva. Okay, so that's the story uh, he's describing. I just describe, I just use these verses from Mahabharata to show you how protected Dwarka was and why it was protected because it was a very important place for the prosperity, for commerce, and uh, for the total civilizational connection of India with the rest of the world. Okay. Now, this is from the artist's point of view. I showed you one picture. This is uh, this painting is done by one um, Rohit Nayakji. Now I don't know much about him. Okay, and uh, my dear friend uh, from United Kingdom, he added some added. He just took that original painting of Rohitji and added some touch, you know, touches rather, with a different moon phases. Okay, to this to this Dwarka and sort of brighten it a little bit. Especially uh, for the occasion of this Sangam talk, uh, my Sangam talk on Krishna's Dwarka. Okay, so this is to just give you a visual feel for the prosperity of Krishna's Dwarka. Now everyone knows the Krishna's connection with Mahabharata, and now we are going to talk about Krishna's Dwarka, the creation and the destruction and the timing of it, and why does this all even matter? So it's one thing to be uh, interested in knowing certain aspects of our historical uh, events. But why do we care for knowing the details of historical events? For many reasons, okay? Because if we don't take lessons from the history, then history repeats, okay? Now, there are good and bad sides to it. And certainly, we want to learn in such a way that definitely the bad aspects of it are not repeated. Now, some other aspect. Uh, that is that talks about our Indian psyche in our times. The reasons can be many, but as many of you are aware that I began some uh, 25, 30 plus years ago uh, with the astronomy evidence, like actually one verse out of now 300, 400 plus different observations. And I worked on this because this was considered next to impossible in the astronomy, in astronomy science or in astronomy speak. I worked on it and uh, not just that one observation that gave me the interval and I'll show you that. But it allowed me when I put this 300 plus uh, astronomy evidence from the Mahabharata text, put together in a scientific fashion, in a jigsaw puzzle fashion, in a crossword puzzle fashion, it leads us to that particular year, 5561 BCE as the year of Mahabharata or no other year. Now, that's not a new news. But this is very interesting. 
many of even the so-called famous Indic researchers, when this research work is presented to them, now they don't read it, but they ask the question, oh, okay, but what about the archaeology evidence? You know, so they will ask a question like this, what about archaeology? And of course, I answer them deeply, but the real point is, what about archaeology? This is like not understanding the logical reasoning, but also not, not having a scientific acumen. Now, I'm not saying there is anything wrong with asking for archaeology evidence, nothing. But if I have arrived at certain inference based on a certain type of evidence, such as astronomy evidence, what is required in a scientific discipline is for anyone to study this work and find out if they can find any faults with it. And then, of course, as an additional bonus, you can look for evidence from many different disciplines of science. Okay? But this is a problem not just with our Indic researchers, and I'm talking of pro-Indic researchers, never mind the anti-India researchers. But the problem is not limited to just researchers. Even the ordinary people in, in Mahabharata enthusiasts, okay, which is a great thing to have, but they also confuse this matter. They say, what about this? What about this? but I'm going to show you the picture. They say, okay, what about hydrology? What about Saraswati? And again, I can ask the question, what about it? If you take Saraswati evidence, it fits like a perfect piece of jigsaw puzzle. If you look at archeology span evidence, the same thing happens. What about hydronymy? Like the names of the rivers, yeah, that's fine. It fits perfectly fine. What about geology evidence? Geology, geophysics, geochemistry. It very nicely, beautifully smooth, comes there and fits 455-61 BCE. What about climatology? I mean, people go on asking this question. These questions are fine. The problem is many of those people who ask the questions do not realize how much research, how much work, how much tapasharia it takes to identify empirical evidence from any specific discipline of science, then try to connect it with any specific historical event. So you can go on asking this question, what about agriculture? They will say, oh, but hold on, you're talking 7,000 plus years ago, but agriculture was only invented. These are the words, guys, okay? I mean, that just tells you that they have not done their homework. Invented, discovered, only 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. That is, and, and it was not invented in or not uh, identified in India, again, because they don't read it. If you look at agriculture evidence from around the world, from India, it fits perfectly for whatever descriptions you see in Mahabharata, Ramayana, and so on. Okay, I'll go fast through this. What about domestication of horses? I mean, this is like a big deal. But what about the horses? Again, the question to ask is, what about it? What's the problem here? Again, to, to create a question, you need that scientific acumen. You need the logical reasoning even to put a proper question, okay? That is lost on our researchers, but also on Mahabharata enthusiasts, okay? So I'll just go fast. What about genealogy of kings? Does that match? Absolutely it does. Only if you read all the genealogy lists, not one selective one. What about other events of ancient Indian civilization, like Ramayana? Absolutely. What about Rugveda, relative chronology? Absolutely. What about Rugveda, absolute chronology? Absolutely, it perfectly matches with what is being claimed the, for the year of Mahabharata War. We can go on and on. People like suddenly get very interested. But what about the Greek records? First thing, why should we care? But if you do care, and if you do pull the evidence, 
from the Greek records, even that perfectly matches for 5561 BC. Okay, so but people just don't seem to get what they are doing. What about genetics? The answer is yes. What about physical anthropology? This is the work that has been done 30, 40 years ago. Okay, Professor Kennedy from Cornell University. It perfectly matches with 5561 BC. On and on. What about the languages? Now people say, oh, there was no language there. How can we? How come we don't find the script? Well, you tell me. We can talk about only the evidence that we have. Nyayadarshana says, pramana tashartha pratipatte. Okay, only the evidence can prove something, but unless we have evidence, we cannot talk about certain subject. Many other areas. But the today's area we are going to talk about is a oceanography, because it has to do with the destruction of Dwarka by flooding. I'll tell you one quickly interesting thing, because uh, there is something more to this than just talking about Dwarka. Because we are talking about Indic Renaissance, we are talking about understanding, comprehending all the finer aspects of our civilization. So when I presented the oceanography evidence, and today I'm going to share that evidence with you, how beautifully it matches for the claim for the flooding and destruction of Dwarka in 5525 BC, some individual, and I'm not saying this as a critiquing one because he was just simply representing the masses. He said, well, hold on, the oceanography is great, uh, but uh, is it possible that Dwarka might have been destroyed not by the flooding of the water or not because of the uh, ocean level rise, but maybe because of the earthquake? And I said, that's possible. I mean, anything is possible. Do you have evidence? And he says, well, but hold on. What if there was an earthquake that's how Dwarka was destroyed. But the evidence is that there is no, I mean, the event has not left any seismology evident, uh, evidence. In that case, I mean, he was fascinated. In that case, uh, we don't have to stick with 5525 BC. I'm saying, what kind of logic is this? So how did, I mean, I'm not looking, I'm not pointing to that specific person. Like, you know, says, oh, what about seismology? The reason I'm pointing this problem is it's a very chronic problem. How the hell we got into this mess? That is the question I would like to ask you. That is the question I want each one of you to ask yourself. We, all of us should be asking each one of us, okay? Ourselves and to our friends and say, how did we get into this mess? I have few thoughts to share before I get into the Dwarka evidence. Our problem is we want something, but we are not willing to pay the price for it. Okay, so we want A, but we don't want B. But you cannot have A without B. And what is that A and B? Sunshine. Now, when people say, okay, you showed this by astronomy, now where is archaeology? People think they are being very smart. No, they are not being smart. They are actually being stupid. I'm using this word very carefully, okay? It's not out of any anger. I'm just using the word from Nyaya Darshan. Yes, Samshe is a very useful thing. It is very much valued in our Darshan Shastra. But you should know what kind of Samshe is a useful one and what kind of Samshe leads to destruction. Like Krishna says, Samshe Atma Vinashati. So Samshe of a mind is a destructive one. And Samshe of a buddhi is the useful one. So, for example, if you have a question, you can ask the Samshe, you can have that Samshe in two different ways. One would say, 
well, I mean, if this is the case, how is it, how is it possible? The sense is that it's not possible. That kind of samsha is a samsha of a mind. The other one says, well, if this is true, then this has to be true. But have we found any evidence? I mean, is it possible to verify this thing also? Now, that is a samsha. Is it possible? Like you're asking a question. But that is a samsha of a buddhi because you're going to do something about it. Then only it is a samsha of a buddhi. If you're asking a question to somebody else, it is not a samsha of a buddhi. And this can only lead to jnana trupti. Okay? The second aspect is a shraddha. Very, very serious, guys. I, I see this in a social media. I see this on many research discussion groups that people will put shraddha at absolutely wrong thing and where they should trust, like say precision of the earth's axis, there they start doubting. Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure, don't involve yourselves until we agree to the background assumption. The other confusion with the Shraddha is people think, I have a Shraddha. Well, that's not enough. What kind of Shraddha do you have? The Shraddha also has a gradation. The Buddhi has a gradation. For example, Shraddha can be Sattvic, Shraddha can be Tamas. Either way, it will lead to some, lead to some action. Like many people want to jump into this Indic research sphere, and that's a good thing. That is good for Manthan. But they will write all kinds of nonsense. Okay, so Karma Shakti is there. They will write books. They will write volumes. They will write research papers, blogs. This is all good. As a Manthan part, it is good. But don't forget that when you do Manthan, the both Visha also came, the poison also came, and Amrut also came. Now, we need a discriminating attitude to decide which one is a poison, which one is Amrut. Because Manthan will give you both. Okay, very important to remember. That's with the Karma Shakti. The Shraddha will give you Karma Shakti, but it can be of a good kind, it can be of a bad kind. It can be Sattva, it can be uh, Tamas. The third one, very important aspect, is a Jidnyasa. I will tell you on this program like this and many others, when people ask questions, and that's a good thing, and we should be all, uh, you know, basically cheering up when somebody asks a question. But many times they think like, I have asked the question, I have done my job. No, you haven't even started your job. Okay, so the jidnyasa in the sense of just kutuhal, just curiosity is useless. I mean, it's a good beginning, a three-year-old, yeah, that's nice, but not, it doesn't look good on a 20-year-old or 30-year-old, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old, okay? It has to be so prayojana, meaning if that particular problem is solved, that particular curiosity is satisfied, it should lead to some outcome, okay? Just like the history research, should do something good to what we are doing today or for the future prosperity of our nation, of humanity. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. Okay, That also applies to a specific curiosity. So it has to be subversion. That leads to palaprapti. So the bottom left-hand corner is the corner of a destruction, the shraddha of a tamasic kind, the samsha of a mind, and jidnyasa only at the curiosity level. You ask the question and do nothing. Okay, Now, uh, so the three things I talked about, want A, but don't want B. So you want mukti, think of that samshay axis. Okay? You want this release of your frustration, but you don't want shuddhi. You don't want to take the effort to reach that jnana trupti. That will not do it. Just asking others will not do it. You want shakti, karma shakti, but you don't want bhakti. You don't have a shraddha. You are not willing to put the efforts, you know, whatever is required. Bhakti is not just an idle business at all, okay? And you want a punya fala, but you, are, you don't want the punya because to do punya, you have to do service. You have to do seva, okay? You have to do a lot of tapascharya. 
those are the points. There is something else, okay? And I'm going to make this connection why we are talking about Krishna's Dwarka and its connection. Now, when we talk of, uh, a, when we make a claim, and then now the question is, uh, okay, should we trust it? This is the another typical thing that I hear in social media, research groups and whatnot, individual emails. Uh, it's like, Nilesh, what do you think about so-and-so? Or what do you think about of the research or the claim of so-and-so? I mean, this is a very idle, wasteful question. The thing is, if you are asking, you're curious about somebody's uh, claim and you want to know my opinion of it, what you need to do, what any one of us need to do is present that claim, present the evidence, explain your understanding of that claim. Do you agree with it? Why do you agree? Do you disagree? Why do you disagree? And then you may ask for additional input from me or from many other researchers and so on. Because it has to be an objective discussion. It has to be based on evidence that is objectively testable. Many people even don't understand. And when I say many people, I'm including researchers, especially researchers. They don't understand what it means when we say objective testing. For example, objective testing is not just like show one some picture and say, look here, this is how it looks. No, it is not that easy. Objective uh, evidence, yes, you have, it helps you to explain a certain piece of evidence and connect the dots. It is also prescriptive. That testing of objective evidence should lead to a certain conclusion. It's saying, okay, this points to this. That is the prescriptive. It is also proscriptive. It basically refrains from certain possibilities. You say, based on this evidence, this is where it's pointing to. And this or this or this or this is not possible. If you look at another axis of logical thing, that is the connecting the dots. Okay, Logically, how you take the evidence how you look at the claim, how you look at the theory, and how you connect all the dots in a logical fashion without creating any fallacies or futilities. That is that logical description. And then the most important thing, which is how do we know that one theory is better than another, one claim is better than another claim? A revolutionary theory, a revolutionary claim leads to a growth of knowledge. And how does that growth of knowledge comes into being? The growth of knowledge comes into being in this fashion. Because there is some problem which is not been solved by all previous researchers or not been solved by all previous theories, existing theories. That's why somebody proposes a new theory. And if after testing, if that theory is successful in solving that problem, then for now, at least for now, we consider, wow, that's the best theory, better of the lot. It may not be the final theory. Now, how do we know that it's revolutionary? The characteristic of a revolutionary theory is that it does solve the problem for which it was proposed, but it leads to many newer problems of higher complexity. If it doesn't do that, then you haven't found really a good theory or a better theory or a revolutionary theory, okay? Why I'm saying this again? You'll find just uh, limiting to Mahabharata or Ramayana today, all other claims, exception none, they will fall into that bottom bracket. Very low or low or poor on objectively testable evidence, almost, uh, laughable when it comes to logical reasoning 
and most of them or almost all of them or i dare say all of them practically zero on any newer problems of higher complexity so in terms of growth of knowledge in a simple language uh, if you take a certain claim and you ask them okay so you your theory is this and well many people don't have a theory 99.99% of the mahabharata or ramayana researchers if you ask them what is your theory for the dating of the epic they say what do you mean <laughs> then they will come up with some statements which you, they can't even understand you can't understand so they don't have a theory but whatever the claim they have and now you say is there anything that is not been explained by your theory they say no everything is explained okay i mean first thing that's a lie that's a fraudulent statement <laughs> but the point is not only that you have to explain the evidence that your theory is supposed to explain but naturally it leads to newer problems of higher complexity okay so back to krishna's dwarka why do we care first thing as a just simple factual information we want to know where was krishna's dwarka when was it built when it got destroyed why it got destroyed okay i'm going to show you a map in a minute but right now number of you might have been to uh, dwarka right now we go to dwarka dish and take a darshan and all that is the temple that is there now It has nothing to do with the krishna's dwarka okay going back to that 7500 years uh it is it is right now the location of krishna's dwarka is inside the ocean and i'm going to show you as my conjecture of course um how far inside we might have to go where is it okay or where it appears to be based on the limited evidence we have we have to go to the southwest of mula dwarka when i show you the picture you will see that and when was it destroyed like people find some flood and they start dancing and say that's when you know flood around on the gujarat coast and say that's when dwarka was destroyed that's not how science works that's not how logic works by the way okay we will talk about it it was 55 25 bc now what is the big deal about krishna's dwarka because beyond just knowing about krishna's dwarka beyond the aspects of a mahabharata war the timing and geography what not it is a very powerful evidence very powerful context for understanding the antiquity of navigation this is for humanity but again for india antiquity of a commerce antiquity of civil engineering architecture innovations and so on because dwarka is known for many innovations which i just briefly walked you through uh, some of the arrangements that were made uh, for the security of dwarka and i would encourage all of you to go to mahabharata text one parva Uh, chapter like fifteen or sixteen, and do read with some kind of translation to see the details of the security arrangement of Dwarka. Now, how to decide between the multiple floods and multiple destructions? Many people just find a flood and they say, therefore, Mahabharata war must have happened there. Isn't that the same thing people do? I mean, how did we get to this such a such a lowly state? We find a chariot in archaeological record. Great thing. okay it just told told us uh, gave us some additional archaeological record but we find a chariot and uh, we date it whatever the date it comes next day we jump around and say oh mahabharata war happened there as if like mahabharata war is the only time indians used chariot in the past okay that's a logical fallacy it's a it's a very poor way of drawing a inference okay it has no scientific acumen no logical reasoning so what do we need to do if you find a flood record you still if you're claiming krishna's dwarka flooding 
then you have to connect it with the evidence of a mahabharata to see if the timing matches okay and we'll talk about this now this is just very recently happened but it happens all the time a tamasic skeptic you know they will look at the oceanography evidence i'm going to share that so i will come back to this point again so for example the way the nature of empirical evidence is such that it can actually give a certain target date and it might give a range actually it will always give you a range okay that has to do with understanding research methods understanding how empirical evidence exists has to do with understanding statistics understanding standard deviation understanding standard error but if you don't have a clue of any of this one researcher recently you know when he showed a certain graph or he was did not even show the graph he was critiquing my work and i like that um i will sometime take a clip of that and show it somewhere and he claimed look this range looks like 100 years or 1000 years so whatever nilesh is claiming 5525 bce the chance of that being true is what only 1% or only 0.1% now that is a very classic example of not understanding science not understanding empirical evidence not understanding statistics how that is done so be very careful of what you uh, read what you hear in the social media i mean that is how we are going to do the research now the the jamana of the peer reviewed journal the whole nonsense is gone okay the peer reviewed journals will always be there but you know they will be a mixture of good and bad as they were always were okay uh, why why do we err or stay stuck to dogmatic claims despite evidence to the contrary now this is where people will say okay nilesh i i was impressed with your krishna's dwarka evidence mahabharata evidence but still you know what i like 3000 or i like uh, 2000 bc see what you do in your subjective conviction it is your business you don't need to even share that with me but if we are going to do a objective discussion which that research eventually gets into the circulation around the world which gets into circulation into encyclopedias which gets into textbook then it has to have a objective basis so why do we still get make these mistakes again in a subjective fashion anything is fine i mean although it's not fine but what am i going to do about it nayadarshana talks about three reasons why we make these errors okay pravartana lakshana dosha if the person keeps his mouth shut like mark twain said you know we don't know whether the person is intelligent or uh, dumb or stupid only when the person opens the mouth or only when person does the action then we can talk about it and that's nayadarshana says then only you know the error pravartana lakshana dosha and he says what are the three types of dosha he says tat trairasham ragad dvesha moha arthantara bhavat okay these are the three types there is no fourth type so what are those one is attachment to once one individual to a specific claim or to a specific claim x the second possibility is that that individual he detest or he she detest or hate some particular person like senilesh myself or somebody's claim you know that particular claim for whatever reason they don't like it and that although the claim may be right but therefore they will never reach that conclusion that that is the sat that is the right claim and the third one moha or mooda that is the stupidity or lack of intellect we will see some examples of this as we go through where is the location of dwarka 
uh, Gujarat, imagine India's map and the west coast of Gujarat here. And uh, the current Dwarka that if you have visited, that Dwarka where the Krishna, Krishna Mandir is, that is this place. Okay. Now, where, you, where I show you this mark here on the calendar, this is very close to Somnath Mandir. Okay. Just close to it, a place actually is very small place called Mula Dwarka. It's amazing how a tradition will tend to preserve, not always in the right fashion, but it still provides us some directional clues. The some memory, you know, the good memory of what existed in the past. That place is called Muladwarka. In fact, there are few other places also called Muladwarka. People trying to make sense of the place because it has gone under the ocean. And <clears throat> based on the research, what I'm going to say is this is where we need to look for Krishna's Dwarka. Okay. There are many bathymetric studies, simulation studies done by um, oceanography researchers. And this is where we need to go for. It was like an island, by the way. Okay. Uh, so that's where Krishna's Dwarka is. We have to go possibly in the southwest direction, uh, 20, 30 kilometers inside. And this is just my estimate. Now, uh, the other problem happens. Like some person will read something about uh, some archaeological evidence from the West Coast going back to say 15,000 years, 20,000 years, 30,000 years, and immediately in a very careless fashion, jump to the conclusion, oh, Krishna's Dwarka was 30,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago. Okay, let's look at, if you, if you bring this together, you will not make that mistake. This is from Srimad Bhagavad Puran. Okay, I'll quickly, just to manage time, I'll quickly, instead of reading those words, I'll go to the summary of it. What those verses are saying is, Shariati was one of the sons of Vaivashvata Manu. We don't know the timing of it. That's fine. Shariati had three sons, Uttanabarhi, Anartha, and Bhurishena. That's why you'll hear the word Anartha. If you noticed in Krishna's description of Dwarka, he said Shalva attacked Anartha area. Okay. It is after that King Anartha. Now, King Anartha had a son. His name was Revat. Okay. And Mahabharata, sorry, uh, Srimad Bhagavat Puran tells us that it was this Revat, okay, who built uh, a Kushasthali, a place that was named Kushasthali deep inside the ocean, okay. And over time, it was built and rebuilt. And when Krishna moved from Mathura to this place, he rebuilt it and it was called Dwarka, Dwaravati, many names such as like that. But now, when did, uh, so Krishna's timing, we are talking here based on Mahabharata 7th, 6th millennium BC, 5561 BC, 5525 BC. But what is the time of Revata? The simple answer is, uh, how old is Kushasthali? That is to say, uh, when Revata established it, the answer is, we don't know. That is a simple answer. There is nothing wrong in starting from this point that we don't know. We don't know, but we can conjecture. Then we can look for evidence. We can propose a theory, look for evidence. We can objectively test it and see where it takes us. If it doesn't, we can go back to the table again and start the process. We don't know. However, you may also know that there is archaeology evidence and you can go and Google it and look through the publications on the west coast of India that <clears throat> points to human presence, points to civilizational existence going back to at least 30,000 years, okay? 
Now again, we should be very careful. We shouldn't jump. And therefore we say, oh, Revata was in 30,000 BC. No, what it is telling us is that the archeological evidence for the presence of some civilizational existence definitely that we have found goes back to 30,000 years. But actual civilization can be older. It cannot be younger, assuming the date is correct, but it can be older. Now, just because we found some civilizational existence evidence, immediately we cannot jump to Revata. Just like we cannot find a chariot and jump to Mahabharata war. Similarly, all we can say is, so Revata's establishing Kushastali could match with 30,000 BC. It could be earlier than 30,000 BC, or it could be later than 30,000 BC. But we do have some evidence for a civilizational existence going back 30,000 years. You are going to find some more impressive evidence today. Okay, All right. Uh, quick digression. Interstellar. Do you know that they hired a, a Kip Thorne, or it's also pronounced Thorne, Thorne, okay? a theoretical physicist, a Nobel laureate, as a scientific consultant and executive producer for that movie. Okay, They're talking about the gravity and the change of timing. Uh, you know, the different sense of perception of a timing, okay? For example, one scene there on that other planet in another galaxy, they talk about one hour spent there is like seven years gone on the earth, okay? The reason I'm bringing this up because the verses that I just quoted on the previous page showing you the Revata and all that, the continuing verses from Srimad Bhagavat talk about this five additional shloka and that's where the chapter ends. I'm not going to read that shloka, but if you know the story of Kukudmi, his daughter Revati, he going to Brahma Lok and asking Brahma, like who would be a suitable groom for his daughter. And Brahma says, too bad. Just one hour is gone by there. And he says, hey, you know what? All the prospective grooms on the earth for your daughter, they are gone. Thousands of years have gone by. Okay, and then I'll not go into the story. I'll ask you to, uh, you know, read in the original. But we now, has anybody looked at it? Many of our researchers have looked at it. One of my inspiration, Dr. P.V. Vartak has talked about this, but going something beyond, he has done some experiments in the, uh, in the Samadhi. Now, this is the experience of one. So we have to find independent means of verifying whether what he's telling matches or whether we can trust it or not. But he has done many experiments in the meditation, trying to take his subtle body to other planets. Now, I don't see your faces necessarily right now and, and those people who are on the mute, but some of you must be going gaga over this. Like what kind of nonsense is this, right? That's why I'm putting this next to each other. When you see Interstellar, a beautifully presented work, okay? Through in a Bollywood, uh, in a Hollywood lenses, forget Bollywood. Okay, you just accept it. Oh, such a beautiful movie. What a beautiful scientific concept. Oh, do you know that uh, Keith Thorne, the, the Nobel laureate was uh, behind that movie as executive producer. If we just present another Indian name, suddenly we say, okay, what is this Indian guy doing this in science? Okay, that is our problem. That how far down we guys have gotten it. And so I wanted to take this digression. The worst just showed up. Quickly, these are my books in India through Subhu Publication. Today, again, as I said, the Yugadi offer, Yugadi is coming, the Gudi Padwa is coming, the new year is coming. Uh, so that's the offer. But today's day is also the Ashtami. Okay, this is the Bharat Dinarashita project. Many of you would know that I started a couple of years ago with the one of the oldest panchanga makers in India, the Date Panchanga tradition. 
So yes, it is the Ashtami, uh, Falguna, Vaddi Ashtami that is also celebrated as a Shitara. And this is another project. It's not just a book. It's not just a novelette. It's just not about a story of a 19-year-old girl. There is a much more to it. And this is not just being stuck in the past. This is to encourage and enlighten everyone how the innovations were made in the past and how we can trap, you know, how we can basically get that wisdom to do things to solve our problems today and our potential problems in the future as the artificial intelligence uh, comes uh, comes in with a very high speed. Okay, so now if you uh, people used to give this dana, you know, on those auspicious occasion, if you want to give dana of like a multiple, this is not my book, by the way, uh, I happen to write a foreword to it by uh, my good friend Mitra Desai. But if you want to do multiple copies, just contact on that phone and you might get an attractive rate, okay, from Subbu publication, which is a non-profit venture, by the way. If you're outside India, then uh, tough luck. <laughs> there are no deals there, okay. This is These are the books on Amazon, but no luck. All right. Now we are going to quickly go through our evidence. So long time ago, I started with Arundhati Vasishta observation. The beauty, beauty of that is it gave, remember? It explained, no one in astronomy could explain how or why or when Arundhati would ever be seen as walking ahead of Vasishta. So the explanation was required. So when I studied for 15 years, I could come up with explanation why exactly it would be seen based on the right ascension measurements. Now, remember the prescriptive. Well, this is the prescription. It said, if that observations of the Mahabharata text is correct and we have no reason to doubt otherwise, then the Mahabharata war only happened between these two dates, after 10,248 BC, before 4636 BC. And what is proscriptive? Well, the proscription is also there. It definitely did not happen anytime before 10,248. It definitely did not happen, at least based on this evidence, anytime after 4636 BC. Now people say, that's it? No then you look for another set of evidence. If you look at very rich 100 plus uh, evidence of Bhishma Nirvan, what does that do? That also, again, remember, it explained the Bhishma Nirvana evidence that no other Mahabharata researcher could do in last 400, 500 years, or of course, before. Okay, that Bhishma lying on the bed of arrows for more than 92 days. Many people to this day, many people, many researchers to this day don't comprehend that it has to be more than 92. Forget about this, solving the problem. They don't even understand the problem. But what is the, what is the explanation? The explanation is simply there, the chronological explanation. What is the prescription? Ah, the Mahabharata war has to happen between this. Just stay there. And what is the prescription? It did not happen anywhere outside these limits. Okay, on and on, planetary evidence, 35 plus descriptions, much more evidence, total of 300 plus. It takes you to that 5561 BC. Now, now what do we do? Astronomy say over, right? It has done its job. Okay, so I take this. Now it's okay to ask the question, okay, what are some additional predictions? Ah, the prediction is there was a Dwarka flooding 36 years after the Mahabharata war. Do we happen to find any evidence for that? So let us find out. So 5561 BC plus 36 years gives me 5525 BC. That is the claim. Okay, don't make a mistake. That is a claim. So 5561 BC is now assertion for the year of Mahabharata war. Plus you take 36 year reference from the Mahabharata text 
added to it. So everything we are just limiting to Mahabharata text. We haven't gone outside anywhere. And it gives me a prediction or a claim of 5525 BC for the flooding and destruction of Dwarka. Now I go to the next one. I say, okay, I bring that down. This is the beauty of a scientific method. Okay, we have five elements there. And you can start from any point. In the previous one, we started with Arundhati Vasishta observation. In this case, we are starting with the inference. So we say, okay, the claim is that the Dwarka was flooded in 5525 BC. Now the question is, do I have an evidence for it? So is there evidence? And can I objectively test it? That is the question. Until we know what kind of evidence, we wouldn't know what kind of background knowledge is required. Okay. Now here we use the astronomy knowledge. So I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying astronomy knowledge is already used. That gave us 5561 BC. Great. We also used a piece of chronology information from the same Mahabharata text 36 years after the war that has been used. Great. And now we got a claim 5525 BC for the flooding. Let's ask the question, is there any oceanography evidence? Okay. Oceanography evidence it is. So how much evidence is out there and where is it? It is a super rich evidence. I'm going to sh show, share three or four. And actually those three or four are built on some additional uh, evidence, like possibly 10, 15, 20, 30 papers. So maybe we are looking at 50 papers here, what I'm going to show you. But in reality, there are 200 plus research papers, peer-reviewed journals, that evidence points to that six millennium flooding around the world, but also in Dwarka. So let's look at the sudden sea level rise in mid 6th millennium BC. The mid 6th millennium BC is that 5500 BC, 5525 BC, all right? Um, okay, some of you might have seen this evidence, okay? Around the world, okay? So let's start all the way to West Indies, okay? So that star there, the West Indies area, okay, Barbados. And then we will come to the border of Europe and Asia, Turkey. Istanbul, and then of course on the west coast of India. And then I will also take you to the east coast of India. So we will take four key pieces of evidence, okay? Barbados, West Indies. This research was done in uh, back in 1995. So that's going back 25 plus years. Okay, since the LGM, last glacial maximum, say anywhere from 30,000 to 20,000 BC, since then, the water levels are rising because that time they were going down, okay? Way down than today, 125, 130 meters down than there today. But when they're coming up, they, I mean, if you can draw a graph, it can be a smooth graph to our today's levels. Having said that, what many people don't realize, they just draw a smooth graph and say, that is it, there is nothing happening. It has to do with, again, scientific acumen, again, has to do with the resolution and the quality of empirical data. Yes, it's a smooth rise, but it is interrupted by something known as CRE, critical rise event, catastrophic rise event. The one specific one we are interested, because remember, we have come from 5561 BC plus 365525 BC. We are looking for that area. Lo and behold, if you can quickly take that 7.6K, which is what? 7,600 before present, subtract 2020, whatever it is, what do you get? Okay, I'm going to show you. So there was a sudden catastrophic rise, sea level rise event that is in the evidence notice in the West Indies at seven different locations, starting with Barbados, 
okay but additional research from seven other locations sudden 6.5 meters rise plus minus 2.5 meters in 5600 bce now this is when people need to understand statistics empirical evidence and standard error so 5600 bc plus minus 100 year plus minus 130 years see everything has that uh, standard error 6.5 plus minus 2.5 meters rise and so on get used to it okay don't don't make don't make a uh, total uh, you know chaos out of this so the all point all that i want you to understand comprehend is that the claim of 5525 bc flooding and destruction of dwarka fits into this range of 5600 bc plus minus 100 year plus minus 130 years amazing research by the way this was done by uh, uh, professor now uh, paul blanchon he was uh, doing his phd in geology at the same university in canada where i was doing my masters exactly same time okay i was doing my masters in chemical engineering he was doing it in geology now he's a professor in mexico uh, and uh, we of course communicate okay uh, so and i i didn't know about this research by the way until 2012 until uh, i had determined the date of mahabharat war because then only it became significant otherwise i would have looked at this and not cared <laughs> what do i do with this right okay let's come to the turkey uh, where asia meets europe the istanbul okay constantinople the old name right what you have here what you don't see in the bottom uh, left hand corner is the mediterranean sea that turns into aegean sea that turns into sea of marmara and on the top the north side what you have is a black sea now that black sea was not a black sea for a long time i mean if you go back in antiquity if you go 10000 years the black sea simply did not exist okay so when did it come into existence now you can take a guess suddenly there is a evidence and i'm going to show you this is a great work of two columbia geologists okay ryan and pitman uh, from 1998 what they showed based on eight different criteria empirical criteria that there was a sudden sea level rise into mediterranean from the world oceans then it came to aegean sea to sea of marmara finally the pressure broke through that bosphorus channel if you have been to istanbul you know what i'm talking and the salt water started pouring into the other side okay which was like a grassland whatever it is and a small lake sweet water lake and instantaneously so to say it became a salt water sea okay when did that happen and so here is the evidence from eight different empirical parameters I'll, you can read that original paper actually it's a book that you can read and uh, the dating the based on that the date is 5550 bc plus minus 50 years plus minus 100 years again recognize that 5525 bc falls right into this bracket but you might say well hold on the dwarka is on the west coast of india why are you taking me to west indies why are you taking me to turkey i'm just showing you as this is powerful evidences but actually there is evidence from all around the world from australia from the east coast of uh, united states everywhere and much more even from china and what not but this is something easy to explain so i'm just using that now there are some 30 plus studies that were done over last 50 60 years on the west coast or the whole arabian sea area including iran iraq um, middle east and that area 
Okay, what does it show? These are multiple studies, okay? Then down to six studies and down to one graph I'm going to show you. Please focus. What you have in the x-axis is the timing. So here we are, 2000. We go back to zero, that is BC, AC, uh, or AD, whatever you want to call it, or CE, before common era. And you go back here, these are 1000 BC, 2000 BC, 3000 BC, 4000 BC, 5000 BC, 6000 BC. Think of that 5525 BC, and that is that significant pulse in the Arabian Sea on the west coast of India that you see a sudden rise, listen to this, 15 meters, one five, 15 meters, sometime in the middle of the 6 millennium BC, around that 5500 BC of 15 meters. And it continued for another uh, millennium, just like the research shows anyways, based on the empirical data. And when it actually stopped, the water levels, had reached so high that they were actually three meters on an average, three meters higher than what they are today. Now, this has a significance not just for Mahabharata, guys. This has a significance for the entire Indus Valley civilization, Sindhu, the Saraswati civilization, and Lothal and Dholavira and all other places. Okay, so what do you see? Here, uh, this water above the mean sea level, this is today's sea level, actually it went up, okay? And um, uh, it went up three meters and that will actually explain why Dolavira, why Lothal were ports. And you check their timing, by the way. They were ports approximately until 2000 BC. This graph tells you why they were ports until 2000 BC. Now, this is from a purely oceanography point of view. Granted, we have to also study the land because land has its own dynamics, okay? But from oceanography, you can perfectly understand. And around that 2300, 2200 BC, the Lothal stopped being a port, almost suddenly, you can say. Suddenly, it just got destroyed. Destroyed in the sense it was no longer in use, okay? That can also explain you, this graph can explain you why that is so. Okay, and eventually it came down to today's limit. So the point for Dwarka, Krishna's Dwarka, is that there was a sudden pulse of 15 meters right in the middle of 6 millennium BC. Okay, so now this is right on the west coast, right into the Arabian Sea. Lo and behold, now I'm going to give you a breaking update. Now this is an old research, okay? When I say what I showed you just now, this is going back 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30, 40 years. It was always there, guys, okay? Now, this is from last year. And uh, the specific research I'm going to show you related to Dwarka is as old as three or four months, early January of this year. Though there is a corroborating evidence for what I just showed you for Krishna's Dwarka flooding and destruction from the east coast of India. Ah, nice, right? This is a paper uh, by this research team, detection of submerged harbor using these uh, techniques. Uh, offshore region in the ancient port city of Pumpuhar in Tamil Nadu. I don't have to, you don't have to go through this graph. I'm almost done. So uh, what this research shows, this, this research has many aspects, but I'm taking only the portion that's relevant to Krishna's Dwarka and Dwarka flooding and the dating of 6 millennium BC. And I, in a way, I'm sharing everything that this research team has done in a broad way. Okay. So going back to say 20,000 years ago, think of this LGM, last glacial maximum, when the sea levels in our recent history were the lowest. When I say recent history, I'm talking of recent history of last 50, 60,000 years. Okay? 
They were the lowest in around 20,000 BC. And so what this P1 is showing you here, by the way, this is, uh, let's see if I can move my marker here. Yeah, okay. So this place, if you can see my uh, arrow, uh, my cursor, uh, this is Pumpuhar today. This vertical line is the ocean land line of today's India, today's east coast of Tamil Nadu near Pumpuhar, this vertical line. But if you go back to 20,000 years, then you find actually the structure that is what this wonderful research team did. They found the structures for the ports, active functional ports inside the ocean. And based on the dating, those ports were functional before 16,000 BC. But sometime between 16,000 and 8,000 BC, those, this first level of port, it got flooded. Okay, water level is rising, remember, after 20,000 BC. Then, of course, what happens? The port was moved inland and that became a P2. So the water came in and that's why the port had to be moved. Now, sometime between 8,000 and 7,000 BC, the second port, P2, also got flooded because remember, water is coming up, right? Rising. That was gone. Now comes the area that we care as far as Krishna's Dwarka is concerned. Remember, 55, 25 BC, something. These researchers know the broad timeline of 6,000 to 4,000 BC. They don't know exact timing of it, but somewhere in between, something happened. What happened? First, the port number three was gone because water came inside. Again, water level was rising, but something more dramatic happened this. Not only that water rose enough to uh, destroy that port three, but there was an ingression of water significantly inland. And how far? all the way to the place called Mayuram, okay? Significant uh, ingression of ocean water all the way inside. That's, and now just please try to relate this with what I showed you on the west coast of India or west coast of the Arabian Sea, a sudden 15 meters uh, rise there. Now, how much it rises depends on the land masses also, right? So let's not go into the exact numbers. In fact, these, uh, these researchers have not given us exact number. But the ingression was all the way to Mayura. Now comes the interesting part. Remember what happened to that graph. It went up three meters. It stayed there for like two, three thousand years and started coming down. Exactly same thing you're going to find matching also the timing. Now we are going to go regression of water. Between 4000 and 3000 BC, that water level, which had gone all the way to Mayuram kind of height, it came back to Shrikai. Okay. Uh, this is between 4,000 and 3,000 BC. And from Sri to Nangur, between 3,000 to 2,000 BC, and from Nangur to the current location of Pumpuhar, sometime between 2,000 BC or after to our time, say 500 BC or last 2,000 years. Okay. So quickly to summarize this uh, evidence from the Eastern portion, the important thing is a sudden sea transgression, not only destroyed the existing port, but a significant ingression of water inside all the way to Mayuram between 6,000, 4,000 BC. Then the regression begins after some time between 4,000 to 3,000 BC from Mayuram to Sri Kari, that levels that I showed you, then Sri Kari to Nangur, and then finally Nangur to the current location of Pumpuhar. Now I'm bringing the evidence from the West Coast and evidence from the East Coast together. Okay, so remember, sixth millennium here, sudden sea level rise, you see the same thing there, 
the port is gone the port number 3 is gone but a significant ingression of water that also happened here by the way significant ingression of water and then for some time it has stayed there but then it started going down okay now it may behave differently in different regions because there is a land dynamics also so we are not going to that and eventually the water levels are where they are today all right so the great evidence for the west coast of dwarka but also a great corroboration from the east coast now i will not go into those but this has implications not only for a mahabharat but also has implications for ramayana when i presented sugriva's atlas on the west coast here in america in in seattle uh, somebody asked me but uh, okay you are talking 14000 uh, 14000 years ago do we have a evidence of like boat building and ports and anything like this now this was a question that was asked some time ago guess what i said well i mean there is some evidence but not a very uh, clear evidence hopefully we find it just two this was like so going back uh, august 2020 okay just two days after this this paper of uh, professor somashekhar came out okay the, in in current science which is referring to these old ports in pumpuhar going back to 20000 bc okay lo and behold so actually i sent the seattle team that article and said here is the evidence that you asked for two days ago you know i have just uh, i'm very fast in terms of turn around you know in terms of the demands it just was my luck okay so that was that evidence so it has a Uh, implications for ramayana dating also but i'll not go into that quick summary and i'll stop and if you have a time we'll take question answer so 300 plus astronomy evidence from the mahabharata text gives us 5561 bc the narrative evidence for flooding and destruction of dwarka it exists in mahabharata it also exists in puranas if we start uh, looking for the empirical evidence around the world we see sudden sea level rise in caribbean seven plus locations happening 5600 bc plus minus 130 years if we come to the black sea uh, evidence for the exactly same time sudden sea level rise there sudden saltification of the black lake or now the what we call black sea and then on the west coast near dwarka sudden sea level rise of 15 meters in 6 millennium additional 8 meters in 5 millennium it stays there that way into the sindhu sagar by the way ramayana calls arabian sea sindhu sagar okay uh, the west coast of india and followed by receding of the sea levels to our times on the west coast and now the finally i shared this particular evidence finds a impressive corroboration with the very recent study of professor professor uh, ramasamy and uh, his team from the east coast of uh, tamil nadu again a sudden transgression 6000 between 6000 bc and 4000 bc followed by receding of the sea almost like in parallel matching with what was the dynamics on the west coast and bringing it back to pumpuhar to our current times so my question is uh, actually relating to uh, your earlier talk on sugriva's atlas i think you mentioned that sugriva called uh, or referred to the arabian sea as the sindhu sagar right mm. uh, so why any mentions of those when you were uh, like researching about dwarka because it is in the, in that location right and just one more uh, small question you, uh, you can point to references but this sea level rise seem to happen like everywhere around the world right uh, mm-hmm. so is there any 
specific like catastrophic event which related to it or if you can point to uh, i mean any research work related to it will be really helpful thank you okay okay so uh, first question if i understand uh, does the dwarka related references mentions hindu sagar that was i think your question uh, no i'm not aware of it okay and so uh, good question and and good answer my point is though it's we have to be very careful um, as a researcher of history and frankly researcher of the future too uh, we are beggars we cannot be choosy we can try for it but if we find it you know um, again the the nayadarshana reference that i quoted you know so pramana tashchartha pratipatte okay only we can say something based on the evidence so if we don't have evidence we don't have to say that doesn't mean it didn't exist but we cannot say one way or the other the second point was uh, do we see uh, evidence for catastrophic uh, uh, rise or catastrophes well dwarka is one actually there is a seismic uh, seismology type of uh, evidence i think it's the work of t rajendran so when i sh- started i started oceanography and people asked me seismology and uh, you know to that individual i wanted to actually show the seismology evidence but before even i could show that person said and just imagine nilesh ji if that seismology evidence i mean seismology that event happened but it did not leave any evidence behind then isn't it true that we can find any day i said i don't want to waste my time explaining the seismology evidence to this guy <laughs> he, he needs to spend some time understanding scientific acumen so but seismology evidence also exists in fact the other possibilities is it doesn't have to be a seismology evidence seismology event happening right at the dwarka because we also see the description that krishna had predicted the destruction of a dwarka so maybe there are earthquakes happening see right now we are we are predicting we meaning as a humanity and scientists predicting catastrophe happening in california and that is not to scare folks in california but it's a reality right it's a reality so similarly krishna might be predicting or the krishna's team might be predicting so it could be based on the previous earthquakes and we do find records for that all over in gujarat going back to those many times i have two questions related to this presentation number one is in the beginning of the, in the during the presentation you mentioned that you take the reference point for uh, old dwarka based on somnath temple so hmm. is there any literature or scripture reference for it and number second question i have is uh, related to the raising of the flooding all over the world so hmm. we have scriptures we have been told that dwarka flooded sometime so we have in our literature and scripture this evidence but what about the literature and evidence around the world do we have any evidence in literature or folklore around the world which mentions there was flooding yeah okay so two questions the first one is do we have a reason to believe where i showed from somnath going in the southwest direction 20 30 miles inside or kilometers inside to look for it yes we have a evidence uh, if we look into puranas as to the location of lanka it uh, refers to raivatak mountain okay uh, girnar mountain now okay it refers to that area it refers to certain places and then the description of dwarka itself so i just gave you some brief description of raivata building the kushasthali deep inside the ocean okay now deep inside the ocean of his time now we don't know when that time is so yes there is evidence for that the second one that you asked 
yes, there are descriptions of uh, global flood or flooding and destruction around the world. Everywhere, in every culture. We don't know because we are not talking of one flood. We are just talking of this flood because it relates to Dwarka. And how did we relate to Krishna's Dwarka? By first finding the dating of the Mahabharata. Otherwise, there is no point going to the Gujarat coast and just looking for the different flood evidence. We will find 50, we will find 20, 100, 200 if we go back. But which of that relates to Mahabharata flooding, meaning relates to Krishna's Dwarka flooding, has to do with when did Mahabharata war happen and then if something comes together. But this happens to be, I mean, we are lucky, I'm saying, this lucky in the sense of evidence. This happens to be such a drastic event it may not have been a drastic event, but it is such a drastic event that not only we have a solid evidence on the west coast of uh, India, but we have a very solid uh, evidence for such a significant sudden sea level rise around the world. But that should not be confused with the records of flood in other uh, civilizations, because it may match with this, it may not match with this. This could be from a previous flood they might be referring to or even a later flood that they might be referring to. The Deccan College and Archaeological Survey of India, so if I remember correctly, having watched some videos on uh, YouTube and some papers also on Google, they found a, a long wall, which is supposedly the wall of Dwarka under yeah. the sea. And yeah. uh, for whatever reasons, either uh, lack of funds or the the terrain is uh, very difficult, so the research had breaks and has not continued probably till recent. So, this uh, are there any records of what depth at what depth they found these walls? So, would this become a supportive evidence for this 15 meter uh, sea rise? So, yeah. if it is at about 50 feet. Below? Okay. Yeah. No. Great question, Atulji. So let's separate this out. So let's uh, let's remove that 15 meters out for, for this reason. 15 meters is the ocean level, but the land is not steady. Land also goes up and down. Any land that goes inside the ocean gets washed away. I mean, the all kinds of things. So that evidence is a bit sketchy. Um, they did find, I don't know who are they, but there is a evidence and I have seen that in my research that some underground structures that were approximately even dated to 7,500. I'm not kidding, okay? In fact, um, where did I read that recently? In one of the Sanjeev Sanyal's book, okay? So Sanjeev Sanyal's book refers to that. Now, what is interesting is, now I also had some back and forth with Sanjeev Sanyalji recently. Uh, so in his book, he refers to that there are some structures on the west coast of India going back to uh, like city structures, some uh, 7,500 years. And hey, if we find some more about it, it will be fascinating. So he writes that in his books. Okay. So he's kind of, you know, whatever his style. What is interesting is when um, my work actually connects the dots. Okay. No, Sanjay Sanyal is not the only one. But they just backtrack, you know, they get scared. I don't know for what reason. So they so they wanted somebody to connect the dots. But when somebody connects the dot, now they are scared. I'm not sure scared of what. Okay, so that that actually the evidence exists. Uh, then you ask something else. So does that tell us about, uh, will that be beneficial? Yes, it will be beneficial. Then you mentioned Deccan College finding some wall. First thing, they found some structure. Now, I don't know if you are confusing the two things. 
the Deccan College, Professor Marathe, he's no longer there. He found the wall or multiple walls rather along the west coast, not so much at a Dwarka, but more on the Maharashtra side. Okay, near Harne, Dabhol, Alibag, all the way go down to uh, Dabhol, where the Enron project was, and so on and so forth. And some crude dating that they had done actually went to this time again, 6th millennium BC. Whether right or wrong, I don't know, because it was a very crude dating. I tried to contact uh, folks that I happen to know at the Deccan College related this thing. And when I asked them, uh, first thing, they were clueless. Second thing, they were suspicious of this research of Mar- Marathe, Professor Marathe, who has done that. And so they were now at uh, 180 degree odds or opposition to what Marathe had claimed. So it is a problem for archaeologists to solve. As far as the evidence that I have shown, archaeology, astronomy, and those 15 different fields, it's on a very solid ground. A uh, quick one uh, would be, I want to invest some time in terms of researching. I know you have walked us through in terms of, you know, what uh, what we should be uh, talking or in terms of how is the best way to actually uh, come up, you know, should come up with our own conclusion and, and ask questions on that one. But to start off with, I want to understand is in your opinion, what would have happened to such people, you know, in such a catastrophic uh, event? Are we are we thinking that you know the whole civilization or the nation was completely wiped out and then they could not? Is there any sign of the migration of these people to the other areas of uh, of India? And uh, okay. is there okay. a is there a linkage that we can establish? Uh, suddenly, the sea level rise happened. Uh, is there a evidence of a catastrophic migration or anything like that? That is your question. The answer is yes. There is a significant evidence of migrations. First thing, we have a narrations right in the Mahabharata, like Arjun coming and taking away the uh, folks of Dwarka, the ladies, and then he's taking it ba- them back to um, uh, Indraprastha, Hastinapur area. The, I'll not go into the historical details. You can read those from Mahabharata and other Puranas. On the way, uh, many of the Yadu, Yadu Striya, Yadu ladies were stolen by uh, Abhiras and, and so on and so forth. There are a lot of theories about that, who are the Abhiras and so on. We'll not go into that. But there are, so in a simple way, there are many, uh, there are there is much evidence of post-Mahabharat migration. So post-sixth millennium migration out of India of human beings, of cows, of mouse and of many others in genetic records. And of course, it is there in the narration. In the narration, there is no evidence of a mouse going, okay? But but uh, but the cows, not in the narration, but in the genetic records, mouse in the genetic records, and human beings, of course, in the narration and genetic records. Question from Satish Kumarji, and he is asking if this research has been shared with NCRD as they are updating their te- history textbooks, and so this should be updated. Okay, uh, no, that's a good question. My answer is that no, or I don't know. So, have I physically shared that with NCRT? No, I don't know who to share at NCRT. Also, so so what happens is that is why we do these events like this. So since whoever asked that question, uh, I presume that that person has some passion about getting this through the NCRT into NCRT material. So he or she, and I'm not talking specifically that person, but we all need to be actors here. 
Okay, so uh, if you are expecting the researcher will also go and knock on somebody's door, I mean, say NCRT. Now you have to understand how NCRT works. Okay, the whole Babugiri is also very fascinating. Okay, now this is not I'm saying in a negative sense. Actually, there are many individuals, many active, very dedicated individuals in the government at all different le levels. But finding them is not easy. Sometimes by the time you find them, they get transferred to some other place. And so if I start doing it, I will have no time to do research. I will have no time for anything else. Just, just as an example, my day starts typically around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And it ends around 11.30, 12. Okay. And so after that, my wife says, absolutely, you have to stop. Otherwise, you know, she's turning off the internet connection. Okay, so I think people, we all of us need to get active and we need to start start doing this. So answer is no, uh, no, or I don't know whether NCRT is aware of it. First, a uh, small comment on uh, your take on the social media historians. So I kind of uh, started liking social media historians recently because I see a trend of actually citing the source for their claim, not just telling their feelings. And that's how I came to know more than 20 plus instances where people are quoting your timeline for a reference. So, and for example, yesterday we had a, a talk here at Sangam by Pandishati Sharmaji and he was also uh, like, started the talk with the timeline that you have presented. So I think they are the messengers and with good heart and all the enthusiasm it is serving as well. So that's my comment on that. And my question is, uh, all the evidence that you have presented from the beginning of the, the, the astronomical evidence, oceanographic uh, evidences and all, they have the error bars and kind of toward the end, though, that error bar minimizes. So I kind of uh, lost on like what error bar finally you think that is there on uh, 5561 years that you are presenting, what error bar you see on that with all okay. the airbots accumulating. Okay, okay, okay. So if I understand your question, so the first one, so by the way, I was not talking about uh, the social media historians in a derogatory way at all. I mean, I'm a social media historian, you can say, and I'm proud of it, okay? No, so, so, so that's... that's, that's, that's right, right. And that, that is what it is. I mean, so actually, if there is anyone who is scared, it is the peer review gang, you know? that is scared, you know, like, okay, what happens to them, you know, well, they should, they better be scared, I would say, okay, uh, I refuse to, I mean, uh, somebody makes me a full-time professor and gives me money, I will crank as many peer-reviewed papers as people want, okay, if people think peer-reviewed paper is a tough business, it's not, I mean, I have done business of all kinds, I can be a great businessman for peer-reviewed papers, I basically find it a very inefficient, process. It is. It has its meaning. It's inefficient. Uh, the, so your question was, just like we see the uh, error bars, standard error bars for, say, oceanography evidence, is there an error bar on the year of Mahabharata War, 5561 BC? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, great question, by the way. Okay. Is there an error bar on 5561 BC? Now, keep in mind, it is me who is asserting 5561 BC is giving that answer. Okay, so uh, take it uh, with that leap of faith. Other people will would like to vehemently disagree and that's a good thing. That's the mantra. Uh, I would say actually there is no error bar. 
there is absolutely no error bar. Just like sometimes, you know, for example, uh, if you have to ask the question, uh, who is the prime minister, current prime minister of India? Uh, well, with 95% confidence, I can say that it's Narendra Modi ji. No, we don't have to use the statistical confidence. We know 110% confidence is Narendra. I, will, I can say that. I would not have possibly said that, uh, say, 15 years ago. But today I can say that there is no error bar on 5561 BC. If someone wants to make it 5563, it's not possible. 5565, it is not possible. Forget anywhere else. It is, I mean, that's that's how much I've done, which is my style is I don't stop. So I came up with this dating and actually uh, Dr. Vartak had done this in a very different way, which I don't agree with his theory uh, back in 1980s. But the point is, when I did this in 2009, uh, I never stopped even after publishing. Now it is done deal. No, I every day I go back and try to find faults with my own proposition. So actually, there is the, therefore the error bars error bar uh, reduced and eventually it's gone. At least for 5561 BC. Um, the question is: uh, After uh, PN Rao, we don't see any oceanographic researchers who are actually exploring physical Dwaraka. Mm. And when you're saying that uh, from Mula Dwaraka, it is like Southwest and uh, X number of kilometers, are there any real interested oceanographic researchers who are doing research? Because we now have a clear pointer. And the next question is that, okay, if they are going and trying to do some research uh, uh, inside the ocean, what are the things that you would uh, like to give some pointer saying, okay, we, you will get this city or this, uh, what do you say, structure? Uh, structure, uh, something like that. Like, uh, is there any, uh, uh, what do you say, point to point, uh, 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 what do you say, data that we can give them to uh, come uh, come up with a clear, concrete, uh, what do you say, description of Dwaraka that we have? Okay, good question. Possibly three questions there. So, uh, and after the NR, NR Rao, is anybody doing it? In fact, recently I heard a news and I found it uh, sad, but also uh, uh, almost uh, hysterical, not historical and funny. Uh, and But that can happen for real reasons. That the so-called evidence uh, that collected by either uh, Professor Rao team or maybe some archaeology group, and they had claimed uh, evidence for 1500 BCE flood. And recently I heard that that evidence is lost. So when the archaeology went there, ASI went into their uh, records for that, they couldn't find it. Okay, now this can be a perfect subject for a conspiracy novel, but I'll just leave it at that. Okay, uh, but 1500 BC can be a flood, but I can uh, assert that it has absolutely nothing to do with the Mahabharata war of 5561 BC. And there was only one Mahabharata war. Okay. Um, the second point was, are there uh, oceanographers or whoever, uh, marine archaeologists doing any research work? They may be, I do not know. And the third question was, what kind of pointers I can give them? The, point, the only pointers I can give them is to start from Somnath, that Muladwarka area, sort of go into the north, uh, sorry, southwest direction. And if you look at some of the study of uh, Graham Hancock, these, uh, these uh, documentaries are there on YouTube, uh, based on his book, uh, Underwater or something of that uh, title. Uh, and this is a study Graham Hancock did. Actually, he was there. I mean, you can see he's sitting in a boat with few people and going into the ocean uh, across the Dwarka. Uh, Graham Hancock and Glenn Milne, who is a 
a geologist uh, based in uh, he was in uh, uk at the time he's back in uh, canada i mean i'm i have communicated with uh, them uh, so there is a evidence of a island when the sea levels were rising that disappeared guess what they were not working on they, they didn't know about my mahabharata date they still may not know about my mahabharata date the disappearance timing based on their bathymetric studies of graham hancock and glen mill when that island disappeared and where i am showing that arrow in my today's presentation to dwarka that also happened right where i am saying uh, dwarka was flooded and destroyed 55 25 bc so that is the pointer that's the area now what to look for i'm not a archaeologist expert uh, and again we are uh, we are beggars as a researcher you know so whatever has been washed off whatever we can find but anything we can find i will just add something uh, i am also not uh, the gung ho kind of type because most of our indians i don't know why i think that's our other challenge like you know everyone seems to feel like we should take a axe and start digging everywhere i mean pick and start digging everywhere honestly i would say it's a utterly nonsensical proposition utterly nonsensical there is no other word that's not how archaeology research happens i mean uh, do you want people to go to varanasi and start uh, telling people please guys get out of your houses i have to do some archaeology research i mean many of in our indian think of archaeology research coming from around the world including india where do we people where do people dig they end up digging uh, in a place which seems to be a promising place but there nobody is living there okay so there is a lot of uh, continuous civilization in india so that itself becomes a challenge but many people simply do not realize how costly affair it is so yes any promising places that we find like rakhigadi and kalibanga and what not we should do it if we find additional places if there is a money we should do it my point is with the available techniques even sans archaeology uh, and using our ancient indian narratives and many amazing modern techniques there is so much that can be done without actually digging even the 1 meter or 1 feet i'm not against digging i'm just simply saying don't ask me to do it okay and don't don't just send me a email saying why there is no money to dig it i mean you find the money i'll start digging okay one of those propositions go ahead